Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and today's guest is Katie Warner-Johnson, the co-founder of online athletic retailer Carbon38. Warner-Johnson discussed why athleisure isn't going away but needs a new name, her company's investment from Foot Locker, and targeting a specific customer in a crowded market. Hope you enjoy it. Katie. Hi. Thanks so, so much for having me. So Carbon 38 is a retailer for higher end athletic wear. And yes. tell us a little bit about when you started it with your co-founder. You were coming from, you are a ballerina, is that yes. right? Yes. Yeah. So what was the market like at the time? Where did, you know, how did you see an, an opportunity for a company oh, like that? Well, so you know, a group of friends and I got together, um, all ballet dancers. So we'd essentially been born in spandex. <laughs> and uh, we got together and just kept tossing around ideas, um, particularly around this customer. And I, so to give you a little bit of background, I, I had a, a very short career in ballet, um, ended up at college, did a couple national tours of some Broadway shows, then ended up on Wall Street as a summer analyst, decided to defer an offer to continue dancing in New York, um, and I became a fitness instructor to bridge the gap between a dancer salary and a Wall Street salary because mm-hmm. I still wanted to live in a nice apartment. I it. Uh, and uh, what was so interesting, this is 2007, I started teaching fitness and um First of all, Sheryl Sandberg was a fitness instructor too. So I'm just saying it's, you know, a good, good great company. leadership uh, <laughs> uh, training ground because um, you really have to out alpha a bunch of alpha females. And <laughs> I I just watched my clients come into class every day uh, who were executives on Wall Street and publishing actresses, um, real moguls, mm-hmm. essentially. And um, as you know, a lot, especially in private equity in Wall Street, a lot of those women lost their jobs during the financial crisis, and they kept coming in to work out. If anything, my classes were more packed through the 2008 financial crisis. Mm. And it was such an interesting sort of cultural phenomenon that these women were coming in and really treating it like um, it was more than just a workout. It was more than just, you know, fitting into a cocktail dress. It was about self-care before we actually talked about self-care. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, it was about the community mm-hmm. and women banding together. And I just loved these badass babes that were taking, you know, never waste a good crisis, taking literally taking the financial crisis by the horns and launching new companies, finding new jobs. It, it, so I just fell in love with this customer and I wanted to serve her mm-hmm. uh, going forward. So, you know, my dancing career ended. My fitness career was kind of hanging by a thread because I was so injured from just all those years of using my body. So I knew I needed a desk job, <laughs> but I'm not really a desk job type. <laughs> um, and so we came together just to start iterating on who this person was. And we initially launched almost like a class pass model where we would bundle unsold class inventory and sell it at a discount. We found out pretty quickly we couldn't make money very quickly. <laughs> you know, I think that's, that's kind of the realization overall. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Definitely a business of scale, and um, and then we, you know, had we launched a Pinterest of fitness, a friend app of fitness. We tried to launch a competitor to uh, Mind Body Online, which mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a coder. It's probably you know, <laughs> you need to have a tech yeah. tech background to be able to do that. And uh, and then finally, we launched this content site 
where it was kind of like into the gloss where instead of profiling a medicine cabinet, a skincare routine, we were profiling a celebrity or an influencer's um, wellness routine mm-hmm. and what she, what was in her gym bag, essentially. And then we made those products available for sale through crosstalk and drop, you know, drop ship and also affiliate, like just as affiliate was just starting. Right. And uh, and so we sold everything from food delivery services to juice cleanses to soul cycle classes mm-hmm. to skincare and leggings. And what we found was suddenly, you know, by the, we launched this sort of beta product um, January 2013. And by July, we uh, we had we were starting to work with these five awesome female founded, founded activewear brands. It was um, Outdoor Voices was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lorna Jane hadn't come to the U.S. yet. We were working with her out of Australia. Uh, Mishi Michelle Watson, still one of our top sellers mm-hmm. um, to this day. Uh, Electric Yoga, which is Michelle Bobot, who founded like Bisu Bisu XOXO, like the brand that I wore to every middle school dance. Right. Um, and uh, and another uh, brand out of Australia called Workout Life, which I don't think exists anymore. And so we thought there are these cool women that are essentially hawking their wares to boutique mom and pop Pilates studios. It's essentially their only distribution channel. And maybe an Equinox, which is always on consignment. So it's really kind of dicey for these these upstart brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple weeks after we started thinking, okay, activewear, this is interesting. There's something here. There's a marketplace here. Lululemon recalled 17% of its product offering. Mm-hmm. Chip Wilson had a bit of a PR disaster. Oh, yeah. And we thought, you know what? The whole activewear industry is dominated by men, but it's the women's segment that's taking off, and it's mm-hmm. still the shrink it, pink it mentality. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, I've got this distribution channel issue, and I have this customer whose lifestyle has changed, which is why she's putting on spandex and why she needs this this you know outfit that gets out of her way so she can really you know kick ass at life. And it just all made sense. And so we raised capital around that that concept and launched officially November 2013 as Carbon 38 as it is today. Awesome. And and so tell us a little bit about those conversations that, that you had when you were raising capital. Because uh, 2013, <laughs> that's like, you know, a pretty... Like, I don't know. How would you describe like the athleisure? Talk no, no of there wasn't anything. There wasn't. I mean, I think <laughs> that, you know, it, it, we had we had just like right after the Lululemon recall, people started coming out of the woodwork. So mm-hmm. it kind of felt like everyone and their mother had an activewear brand. Um, they still do today, um, but it was it, it wasn't considered a clothing category mm-hmm. in the same way that it is today. This like seamless. It was almost like a joke to wear your wonder unders to brunch mm-hmm. in 2013. Yeah. And so what we had to do is really convince um co- you know convince investors that this was a changing behavior in a woman's lifestyle and so it goes back to this customer that i I've, I've served for t- 12 years now mm-hmm. um who you know is just this courageous brave modern woman who is who's you know it's up to us right now we're to to hit gender parity we're not going to see it in our generation mm-hmm. but for our for our kids' generation or our grandkids' generation, we will see gender parity, but it's up to us to keep pushing that envelope. Right. And when you think of this woman who is has to win at against all odds, and there's so many odds, um, 
you know, if you think about it, we as women have to outperform our male peers by 30% to be considered on par. You, you know, we're the ones, we're still the primary caretakers. We're the ones, when we're in the middle of a board meeting that gets the call from daycare that, you know, Susie is sick. We know that Tommy likes X, Y, and Z brand peanut butter. We know when soccer practices. We're the one just managing the schedule. Really, you know, it's the emotional and the, the mental toll of just running life. Mm-hmm. But on top of it, we have to succeed. And, you know, if you think about all the micro decisions you make when we all got dressed today. You know, we decided what lipstick shade, what heel height, what, you know, is it this pan? Is it this sweater? Hair up, hair down. If you Mm. think about that, a guy just has to put on a button-down shirt and khakis Mm -hmm. and walk into work and win. Right. We have to do the same thing, but with a hell of a lot more headwind. Mm -hmm. So we're essentially all running with parachutes. You know, we're all training at altitude. We're like Olympians getting ready for this big race. And so I feel like Activewear, you know, is the first decision you make in the morning before you go for your workout. But why not continue to be that decision? It's so easy. It's machine washable. It fits into the rest of your life. And that's what we really tried to show. And and it's proven, you know, it's proven itself for us mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, 90% of our customers are wearing our clothing outside of the gym. Um and there's your proof. Proof's right. in the pudding. This right. is a much bigger market than just that hour at the gym. Right. And I, and I think, you know, in the years since then, that's only become yeah. more true. Yeah. And, you know, we hear so much <laughs> about technical fabrics and, you know, going from, you know, nine to night and, and yeah, all those, yeah. like, fun catchphrases. <laughs> Board meeting to bar. Right, like, exactly. To bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, as you were... You had this, you know, online community of, of people through the through the content site. So how did you then sort of take that and, and transition it to Carbon 38? It's pretty easy. I mean, <laughs> look, I, we weren't that high tech. I was fulfilling out of my dining room at this time um, with a little red wagon taking the packages to UPS. Uh, so, you know, it just was like, this is it. You know, we, we went live uh, with just activewear, still storytelling behind the brands, because I think it's really important to understand who's truly behind the brands, because the stories of Michelle Watson to, you know, Pip Edwards of PE Nation to, um, I, mean, I mean, just this, the stories of each of these these founders and 73% of our brands are female founded. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the exact opposite of the rest of the fashion industry. 80% is male founded, male run, male creatively directed. Mm-hmm. Of women's fashion, but in activewear, you know, even though you've got Nike and Adi and uh, Lululemon and you know Puma and all those brands are all male-run, mm-hmm. there's this wave of women that are really shaping the industry and the overall fashion industry because behaviors are changing. Right, uh, and, and so was it like? How did you like pitch the idea to your readers then? Like say like, oh, if you've been enjoying this, like here's here's what we are. It was kind of a, I'm doing. sure it was a clunky transition <laughs> if I think back to it. But, you know, we still, it still was an e-com site. You know, it's mm-hmm. still an e-com grid. Um, we just shifted from this page 38 as being our main focus, which was like this online magazine of sorts okay. that you could pen, you know, you just sort of flip through to... Um, to more of an email-driven content. So we were, you know, when you open up, even today, if you open up a Carbon 38 email, it's like a little mini story. It's a little piece of content around a trend, around an interesting new designer. It teaches you something. It's Mm -hmm. some, you know, I think email inbox space is 
very, very valuable, especially of the women that we serve, the customers we serve. So we try to create something of, of true value. So we switched it from having to go on the site to flip through and then shop to mm-hmm. giving you a mini story in your inbox, go to the site, shop immediately. So it just actually made it easier, less time consuming. Um, and you know, you got the information you needed. And if this wasn't interesting to you, you could toggle around and find another interesting story. And that's mm-hmm. still kind of how we operate today. So it was, it was relatively seamless. I mean, if you think about, I think our existing customers that we acquired in that first year were like 151, very loyal, keep coming back. God bless them. They're still some of our best customers today. Um, but, you know, just in terms of changing the way we funneled our, our user onto the site, we just blew open the doors for our usership to just hit the roof. Right. And how did you decide to build um, an online retail store with these brands rather than start your own standalone brand? Well, we started we started kind of experimenting with private label right out of the bat. Okay, so, so it's kind of like a too far. Yeah, we we had we had worked with a sourcing agent in LA to try to figure it out, but there's so as I've learned since 2013, um, and now you know 40 percent of our product offering is our is our own brand, mm-hmm. but. Um, I learned pretty quickly that, you know, fit is everything, material is everything, um, and the relationships with factories that will grow with you is everything. And those are all relationship driven. Mm-hmm. And right. for me to just like show up on the factory floor in China is not really going to build that relationship. So really understood that after our initial couple tries and, and big fat failures in a lot of cases, um, at the time, they were big fat failures. Now I'm like, oh, that was why was I stressing about that? There's so many other <laughs> things to stress about. Uh, but uh, but once we you know got through some of those, we learned a lot, and then we took our time, took full two years, hired an amazing chief merchant, uh, and launched Private Label in uh, 2015, end of 2015 officially. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just taken off because you know we're blowing open the doors every single day with new brands and new ideas. So we're just seeing what's new in the market, what's fresh, and as as a result, we're also understanding the white space because I never want to compete with our vendors. We really, truly want to be partners to these brands if we've been since day one. But I also see this white space and I see us filling the white space and also being the lawn dart of what the future of fitness fashion or performance fashion looks like. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Gianna Cappadona, producer of the Glossy Podcast, and we're going to take a quick break to talk to you about our other show, the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Each week, Glossy's beauty editor, Priya Rao, sits down with leaders in the beauty and wellness industries, and this week we welcome Ali Melnick into the studio. As the GM of Harry's female-focused brand, Flamingo, Ali gets real with us about body hair and reimagining how we remove it. You can find new episodes of the Glossy Beauty Podcast every Thursday on Glossy.co or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us any feedback you have. Now back to the episode. So tell us about those conversations with brands, especially how they've evolved over time, because mm. I think with you know the direct-to-consumer era, you have a lot of brands who want to build that customer themselves. They don't want to outsource it to outside retail partners. So what, what would you say is distinct about this industry of athletic wear, where you were able to sort of come in as a, as a partner and, and grow with these brands, as well as start your own private label? I mean, if you think about it, the easiest way to get cash flow is to sell to a third party. So if you're a, a small brand that has this, you know, this great concept to be able to actually finance the, unless you're, you know, independently wealthy, the way to finance production is to get that PO mm-hmm. from a retailer. Right. And so we initially saw that as a huge um, 
you know, is, is a huge need that these these small brands in 2013, when they were going door to door to mom and pop yoga studios who were placing $1,200 orders per quarter. Right. And maybe you would get this consignment order from Equinox, but you were still holding all the inventory risk. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of financial risk. So mm-hmm. we thought, why don't we raise money around this idea of, of actually buying the inventory and helping finance production for these vendors? Right. And so that's that's how we started, and we saw that was a huge help. And now, you know, we've we've grown our team, and we have such unbelievable experts in sourcing, logistics, uh, ERP, um, you know, our whole tech platform. Everything's custom, and everything's really, um, really considering this elastic market that we're in, mm-hmm. and how it's changing. How it has to be data driven. We've been data warehousing since day one. Our, our CTO was. Uh, one of the first hires at Netflix and built the Netflix algorithm. So we kind of have that that idea of taking, you know, understanding everybody else's content, seeing the white space and filling it. But we're able to understand consumer behavior. I understand it intrinsically because I've served her for so long and now I've become her. Yeah. But then to be able to actually see the data to back it up. So to be able to support our brands as we go forward with all of those, those areas of expertise. Mm-hmm. And then furthermore, we've rebranded the idea of what a retailer is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the big opportunity in the future is for us is how, you know, these big box retailers are, are struggling and, um, you know, some are going to make it through, some are not, most are not. How are, how can we fill that, that vacuum? Yeah. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit? How, how is Carbon 38 a different retailer than, than a traditional one? Obviously customer data, spring. Customer data. Mind. You customer have that, data. you know how to use it. How else? Low overhead, low mm-hmm. overhead. I mean, we have two stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did that from a marketing perspective. So, um, but they're still profitable, which is great. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we've really kept, we've, we've been, we're looking at, you know, economies of scale. We're also looking at bang for our buck and, um, we're quite a nimble team for how big our business is. And so our overhead is low. We don't have 130 huge 50,000 square foot flagships. We don't mm-hmm. have, you know, thousands of stores franchise out to Asia. We just have our own e-com. We control it. We talk directly to the consumer. We're constantly listening to her. Um, we're trying to get better. Uh we're succeeding in some ways, not in others, but we know what we need to work on directly. And we're not blind to where the trend is. And I think, you know, there are just a lot of these amazing dinosaurs that paved the way, but they have this mantle. They have this albatross around their neck of, right. of, of real estate. Uh-huh. And we don't, <laughs> which is great. I mean, we were working out of, there were 80 of us in a 4,000 square foot space until a month ago, right. in all honesty. So we keep things really small, yeah. really efficient. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I, you know, yeah, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. So you're not looking at retail as, as like the, the next big push for carbon 38 in in terms terms of of brick and mortar i think it's a blueprint that we can absolutely expand upon i think that's just an economy of scale as well like you you know once you create the profitable blueprint you can Mm -hmm. start stamping it across the world right but i you know i see so much opportunity in just expanding online Mm -hmm. um because we can seriously reach into her wallet 
and her heart, more importantly, that much more efficiently mm-hmm. from behind our screens. Um, we also have this unbelievable ambassador program. So mm-hmm. we have 3,800 fitness professionals, athletes, is trainers. That, is that number intentional? What happens when you get 3,900? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to lay down. Like, I, 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 I know, 3,800. Isn't that funny? I actually didn't think about that. Um, yeah, just I think we just hit 3,800 of these amazing women who are also entrepreneurs in their own right. Mm-hmm. I was one, you know, mm-hmm. so I get it. And I know how lonely that profession is. And I know, you know, how, how much you give of yourself. And so I wanted to create a program that gave back. But in turn, it's just it's just this unbelievable community that has fallen in love with carbon that are that are our front lines out in the battlefield you know finding these amazing women who can be you know additional customers they're creating these little ripples in all their communities across the the country and across the globe mm-hmm. um, I think we're in live in 21 countries with our ambassador program so we have a lot of unbelievable women that are that are fighting the good fight and spreading the good word for mm-hmm. us and how are they so those are like obviously like unpaid they're not like paid ambassadors well i think i mean what we what we do is you know appearance is everything and what you put on your body is Mm -hmm. what you i mean that's what you know that's essentially what you're selling in fitness um no matter how we slice it it is what we're selling um and clothing is expensive but it's part of the job and you know i just know when i was making 30 you know, 50,000 a year as a fitness instructor living in Manhattan, I still had to be up to date in the latest Lululemon. It was really hard to come by it. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, I was an ambassador for all of those brands, but I felt like I was given, you know, a bag of clothing at the beginning of the year. And then a lot was asked of me throughout Mm -hmm. the year. And what I wanted to do is create a real community, something that was, that was, you know, give and take. So for every legion, our ambassador gets a credit to the site. Um, and so it's a, it's an in-kind, uh, essentially, uh, exchange of services that mm-hmm. are both valuable on either end. So it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so as you you know, have grown, um, where have you realized, like, okay, we, we obviously are, like you said, in the business of, of selling fitness apparel. How has the, how has the company expanded since then? Like, how have you looked to, to other ways of, of growth and, and just making an impact in the athletic market? I think... The biggest area that we've invested in is private label Mm -hmm. um, because it's, like I said, it's a white space filler and it's a lawn dart. And I think that, you know, I'm sitting here in head to toe carbon, cushiony for for carbon um, right now. And it's, I think this is the future of fashion. Mm -hmm. It's something that you can literally, as I did, get off a red way. I'm not not wearing workout clothes, but I'm in something that's machine washable. Uh And I just got off a red eye and I can walk in here and feel presentable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. like I said, my synapses aren't quite <laughs> connected yet, but um, the rest of me is. Uh, and and I think this is the future of fashion is this unfussy kind of, you know, break the rules way of getting dressed mm-hmm. that we don't have our pencil skirts and silk blouses and pantyhose and stack heels and you know we don't have our weekend jeans with little booties you know that it's it's all one it's all right. one because that's how we're living mm-hmm. you know we have to live seamlessly we don't have time to change in between activities mm-hmm. uh and um and th- you know and that's not just the gym it's the our whole life is truly a sport and so i do think this is the future of fashion so we really want to be stepping out into that, you know, into that front line. And, and you know, our first private label collection, our first branded label collection, we launched with basic 
black leggings, a great high neck tank, um, a perfect sports bra, little bralette. And then we also launched with a neoprene pencil dress um, and a neoprene blazer, both of which were uh, machine washable. Mm-hmm. And we felt you could wear all of that together. Mm-hmm. And when we watched our customers, they did. And, you know, our stuff was showing up on the trading floor and over at Goldman Sachs. And, I mean, it was it was just cool to see that traditionally active was showing up in areas that you never would have dreamed of. Right. And it, we're just continuing that trend. Right. And so and so you said it's it's cushiony for Carbon 38. So mm-hmm. how, is, how have partnerships kind of shaped the direction of the private label combined with what you know about what your customer is looking for, what may not be showing up from the from the brand side? How does how does it do it? Does every collection well, come together? It, you know, all of the, the designers that we've partnered with have such a unique perspective on um the female form and use case as well. They're artists. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all artists. And uh, we have an incredibly talented design team in-house, but it's always lovely to look at a new perspective and be able to deliver them, you know, look at our data. This is what sells. This is kind of where your line plan should be. Then they take that as their blank slate, sketch it out, design into it, you know, break the mold, do something awesome. And then we work with them in our factories in terms of creating the coolest, most cutting edge product. Mm-hmm. And because there's a designer label attached to it, we don't have to be as cost conscious. And so we can actually create a lot of lost leaders that tell a story. It's a, it's definitely a storytelling uh, opportunity for us. But then it's also, you know, it depends on the goals of the designer and our own goals as we come together. But, you know, it's also a way for some of these designers to reach a new customer base without having to partner with like a Target or an H&M and mm-hmm. kind of play downstream. They're mm-hmm. able to still talk to the same customer or have a lot of customer overlap, just dress her for more parts of her day. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, we all want to own 100% of her closet, right? So we find that these partnerships allow us to do that. Mm-hmm. Without steering too far out of your own wheelhouse on your own. I think, yeah, I think that that definitely, it's a permission to play for Mm -hmm. us too. Like it always sets the bar a little bit further. Like I think of when we partnered with Jonathan Simkai the first go round, we had this amazing little sheer cocktail dress that just kind of blew open the doors for a dress business. And we had this amazing peplum um, hoodie. It was like a French terry hoodie that had like a little peplum tutu waistline. And that also shaped kind of how we look at unexpected ways of using performance fabrics, Mm -hmm. Um, stuff that you would always already be putting on, you know, schlepping to and from the gym. How do we make it feminine? How do we make it fashion? How do we make it acceptable to wear to a cocktail party? And those are the fun problems that we can figure out internally, but it's so much fun when you bring in a new perspective. Mm-hmm. And then we also have the expertise in terms of fit, fabric, mm-hmm. and, and construction. Mm-hmm. Great. And, and so do you would you say that we're at, like, we're over the athleisure bubble? <laughs> I feel like it was so talked about. No one's even wearing jeans anymore. Uh, this has to be a bubble that's going to burst. Where are we now in terms of the athleisure boom? It's still moving. I think we just aren't calling it athleisure because mm-hmm. the name is terrible. Yeah, I hate it. I'm sorry. I wear athleisure and boy, uh-huh. do I not spend any time doing anything leisurely. Right. I, 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 honestly, like, come on, we are real women. Like, like it's sport. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I think that the name died because it just feels so patronizing and and silly. It's mm-hmm. easy because we all know what that means in our head, but we really know what it means when we're putting that stuff on, and right. it's not leisure. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's died the the name, but the market is just building because mm-hmm. I do think it, you're we're gonna see a f- a real flip in awesome. terms of how 
we are constructing in terms of what fabrics we're using, in terms of, you know, the ease of use, ease of wear, speed to market, all of those things are what the consumer demands. Mm -hmm. And in active, you know, in performance, they've been doing this for decades. So if we can just apply that to a designer silhouette, to a ready-to-wear silhouette, to a runway silhouette, I think you're you potentially are bringing your costs down. You're bringing your time to market down, um, and we're just we're just scraping the surface in terms of what we can do. I think mm-hmm. as three D printing becomes used, there's so much cool stuff we can do. As that becomes more fine tuned, um, there are ways in which you know we're starting to work on waterless dyeing and on demand manufacturing. All those things are are out in the market, mm-hmm. and um, it always hits like performance first it always hits professional athletes and like navy seals first right. and then it trickles into high fashion uh-huh. we're just trying to speed that mm-hmm. cycle up awesome and so who are, who are your competitors i think you know i i on i i truly believe we're filling a white space mm-hmm. i do think that there are a lot of amazing companies that that are are great supporters of the overall market. I think, you know, if you look at the big box retailers like Saks and Neiman's and Nordstrom, they all are carrying, Barney's, they're all carrying activewear in mm-hmm. some regard. When you look at, you know, the 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 direct to uh, consumer or the, the you know, the, the, the specialty retailers around just activewear, like everything from Dick's Sporting Goods to Bandier here in New York, um, they're all supporting the cause. I really think, though, this is going to take hold and we're, you know, we're gonna we're eating up we're sort of Pac-Man style eating up some of the market that have been traditionally held by the James Purses and Vinces and um, Alex Wangs of this world. It's mm-hmm. the it's the easy stuff you're gonna put on every day, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's as much disruption there, and so that's where we're really honing our our focus. Right, it makes sense. And and as you look of where where you can grow, how big Carbon Thirty Eight can get, uh, you guys raised around. Was it in the end of last year ish from Foot Locker. It was a year ago. Yeah, a year ago. Yeah. Uh, so, what does that what does that say to you about the future of athletic wear? If, if a company like Foot Locker is investing in you, well, I think that Foot Locker, as a company, has been around for over a hundred years. Right. So they are um, very resilient and quite observant and um, more. This is probably a terrible word to use, but more empathetic mm. than um, I think a lot of retails out there, retailers out there, and I do think they will they will survive and thrive through kind of all the, the the rocky waters of the next couple of decades because they're investing in what they believe is the future. Um, we were their first minority investment. Um, and we'd been talking to them for a couple of years, really building that relationship. Uh, they just took another investment in, or made another investment in a uh, super heroic kids mm-hmm. footwear brand. Um, so they're really kind of, they're you know they're not doubling down in premium women's fashion. They're kind of playing all across the all across the board. Right. And um, I think it's really smart and very forward thinking. And I think as a the company DNA has always been that. Um, what's also really impressive about the company DNA is that, you know, they're profitable at huge scale with a huge real estate footprint mm-hmm. on footwear margins. So I knew that, you know, I wanted to learn from them and they were the best. You know, mm-hmm. I want to learn from the best. They're the best. I want to saddle up next to that Leviathan and figure out how we too can build a multi-billion dollar 
retailer that's profitable, um, that supports the brands we carry. I mean, that's how they started. They were they were they start Foot Locker as its own subsidiary under the sort of the Woolworths umbrella started to support Nike, mm-hmm. to support Phil Knight. That was essentially their their whole concept um, when they first started, and that's kind of where we're at. We we're investing in the next generation of Nikes mm-hmm. um, and cr- and growing with them. And, and I just am trying to figure out, you know, we don't have 45 years to figure it out. We have like 45 days, right. it feels like. <laughs> and so I'm, I, want, I want everyone, you know, all of our amazing brand partners on the bus with us so that we can just be driving, you know, full speed ahead and really iterating. Because we're at that knee of the, you know, the inflection point of that that curve of, of iteration and innovation. Mm-hmm. And it's only going to become logarithmically faster right. in the future. And so I think strength in numbers and really helping, you know, all these different perspectives, piling them all into one room and, and figuring out what the future is. And I think it's really important to understand the successful brands of, you know, yesteryear and how they're looking at the future and how we are only future thinking, you know, kind of piling us all into the same bus and, mm-hmm. and figuring out what's right. next. Yeah, it's interesting. And 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 are you guys profitable now? Uh, we don't disclose any yeah. of the financial stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> if you need, if you need to upload it on someone, just uh, let me know. No, I'll let you know. <laughs> but I got PR in the room, so I can't. <laughs> well, when you look at, you know, when a company like Foot Locker, like you said, it like when a hundred years ago, if you have a retailer like that, fast forward to today, how much differently does a company like yours have to behave? now because of you know industry pressures because of competition because of changing customer expectations what would you say is is like the the retail standard as as a company is looking to scale i think i mean i don't think there can be a standard i think that if you are paying attention to the wrong things you'll fail and mm-hmm. then you know in hindsight what those wrong things were mm-hmm. but i think that um, the most important the most important thing I can see today in terms of, you know, what's made, you know, the past generation of brands successful or retailers successful and what I still believe will make the future generation successful is people. And that's really understanding your customer through and through and making sure you never believe in your own myth because you'll miss it mm-hmm. if you do. If you start resting on your laurels, you'll miss it. Um and then more importantly is making sure you're getting the right people on the bus every day and um, and, and and taking care of them as well. And I think that, you know, it's a when I look at Foot Locker, they they do that well. Mm-hmm. They listen to their customer. They take care of their people um, and they understand the, the unit economics. And that doesn't really change. Right. No matter what. What, you know, I mean, if, hopefully there'll be some technological innovation that will cut overhead by 100 percent and that will be great. But until then, right. <laughs> kind of the economics are the same. Right. Great. Well, well, we're just about out of time. But thank you so much, Katie. You really thank enjoyed you. it. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. If you've been enjoying the Glossy podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. As a reward for listening, use the code Hillary25 at glossy.co slash plus to get 25% off an annual subscription. That's H-I-L-A-R-Y 25 at glossy.co slash plus. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.